I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Hi, and welcome to your Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. We're doing it live. It's Ian Mendes with you. Uh, here to sit in the host chair for the next 90 minutes or so. Eight playoff uh, matchups for us to preview going around the league with our beat writers. Let's get right to it because I know these two guys have their own little audio room they got to get to. It is uh, Jeremy Rutherford and Mike Russo covering the Minnesota Wild and the St. Louis Blues. I know, listen, guys, apologize for a little bit of a false start there. So let's get right into it. We've seen this matchup coming for weeks, guys. So let me ask you, I'll start with you, Jeremy Rutherford. Who's the favorite in this series? <laughs> it's uh, it's Mike Russo's Minnesota Wild, right? The, I think, Ian, the, the Blues have really dominated uh, the Wild under Craig Berube, uh, particularly this season. Uh, three wins against them, one in the Winter Classic, but two of these have come in overtime. So I think this this is a pick'em as much as it can be a pick'em. It really is. Uh, I know some of the national writers, including our staff at the Athletic, has gone with uh, the Wild. I think it was something like twenty three percent in Game Six. But if you get to a Game Seven, uh, the picks were, were split. So you know Mike can touch on that. But I'm looking forward to this because it's so even. I've covered a lot of series over the years where maybe they were a little more one sided. This one's going to be really intriguing. Same question to you, Mike. Yeah, I mean, what do we know, right? As uh, I mean, 75% of the 10,000 people I polled on Twitter had Talbot starting game one, including myself. So uh, all, all predictions go out the window once the puck drops, and that's the one thing. By the way, I had my my name on there. actually says Jeremy Rutherford's assistant, so I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of bummed that, it, that you guys fixed it. Um, yeah, I mean, look, to me – it's a, it's concerning that the Wild haven't figured out a way to beat this team. Now, uh, to me, I do throw out the Winter Classic. Wild hadn't played in two weeks, and we're missing five guys from the lineup, including their best center and uh, their two best defensemen. Um, but uh, the two games in in St. Louis were definitely um, you know much closer games. I thought the Wild played well in both. Uh, same exact thing happened, only the opposite in both those games. One game, the Wild. Uh, blew a lead, came and uh, wound up uh, in overtime and lost. And the other one, they came back and 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 uh, wound up losing that game in overtime. Um, last game, last year's games were pretty much bloodbaths all the way around. The Blues absolutely crushed the Wild pretty much in every single game, especially in St. Louis. So, um, you know, I think I think home ice was very important here. But when you're playing a team as deep as the Blues, nine twenty goal scorers, it's not like the uh, the, the uh, Greenway, Erickson Eck, and and um, and and Felino line can go up against everybody. So I, I definitely think that this is going to be a tight, tight series and an exciting one. 
And, and it might come down to goaltending. And Mike, you you touched on the fact that a lot of people thought Cam Talbot yeah. uh, would start. Let me let me ask both of you guys this question. But Mike, I'll start with you. Do you think in this series we're going to see four different starting goaltenders? <laughs> I think potentially two on the wild. I mean, you know, unless the wild are going out and sweep, I think it sets up well that you're going to play both. And I think the wild have shown down the stretch that they're willing to play both. Well, Cam Talbot did everything he possibly could to win the game one starting role tonight. I mean, he went 13, Oh, and three down the stretch. Um, he hasn't lost in regulation since March 1st yet. They go with the hall of famer and, and that's what Mark Andre Fleury is going to be. Um, I think it's a different look to show St. Louis. I mean, obviously it's not like the blues have never played Fleury and they've beaten him three times this year when he was Blackhawks, but the wild, I think want to give them a different look. Cam Talbot's lost seven in a row against the, uh, the blues. Um, his in that 13, Oh, and three stretch, two of those overtime losses in that stretch were against the blues. And one of them, I didn't think he played well. And I thought he gave up some bad goals in a couple of those games. So I think this was all about a decision to go with the guy um, that everybody knows has three cups has a ton of playoff wins. You have the fourth most uh, uh, playoff wins in NHL history going in net for the wild. I think that's why they got him, And that's why they're starting him tonight. So Jeremy Rutherford, the wild decided to go with experience, but the blues, uh, not so much. They're not going to go with the guy that won them, the Stanley Cup just three years ago, at least to start this series, right? Yeah, not so much. And uh, you only have to go back to 2019 when they went with the guy with no experience, Jordan Bennington, to find out when they had success uh, with that decision. Jordan Bennington, of course, taking the Blues uh, to the Stanley Cup. But Ian and Mike, how about the fact that the two beat writers, we had to wait and watch the morning skate to see who goes out <laughs> to the starter's net to find out who would be even in net for these two teams. That's pretty amazing to me. But Billy Huso, definitely the more consistent goalie of the two between him and Jordan Bennington throughout the season. No surprise to me that Billy Huso is the starter. You know, will we see all four goalies in this series? Mike just spoke to the Minnesota Wild perspective. I'll speak uh, to the Blues. The Blues certainly hope that, uh, you know, they don't have to turn to the backup. They hope that their decision in Billy Huso, uh, he'll be the guy. But he's never played in a playoff game. And regardless of what Jordan Bennington did uh, a few years ago, that's pretty rare. So uh, I don't know that he'll have a super short leash, uh, but I do see a situation where uh, if the Blues win, lose a game or two up here in Minnesota, uh, that they do turn to Jordan Bennington. Well, listen, speaking of short leashes, we got to let you guys go because you've got a live room of your own uh, started. So we want to do we do want to direct our listeners right now as we're doing this live. Uh, Jeremy Rutherford, Mike Russo are hosting a live room ahead of game one. So head on over to the, the their respective, uh, you know, you guys will have the link, right? You're going to tweet it out here coming up? Yep. Perfect. Yep, definitely. Thanks, okay. Ian. Okay. And us. Okay. Uh, Talk to you in a minute, uh, Jeremy. <laughs> all right. See you soon. There we go. Jeremy Rutherford, Mike Russo, getting you all set for the Minnesota Wild and the St. Louis Blues. That game uh, one goes at 9.30 Eastern time here on Monday, 7.30 uh, Central time. And that is one of four games on the docket. The one that might be the most intriguing, however, is the one happening in the Atlantic Division where you have the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning taking on the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Maple Leafs just, it doesn't feel like they can necessarily get over the hump. And it looked like maybe there was a chance we were going to get the Boston Bruins. It's not. They get the two time defending Stanley Cup champion, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. And Tampa looks a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit different. And we're going to get Joe Smith, Jonas Siegel coming in here. And I think we got them. Oh, look at this. This is, this is unbelievable. There we go. The two guys who have the same initials, JS and JS. It's Joe Smith and Jonas Siegel. Listen, guys, thanks so much for taking the time here on a game day to join us. Let me let me start with this question. I'll ask you this, Jonas. Is all the pressure on Toronto heading into this series? Yeah, I think that's probably fair to say. I mean, Tampa's got their back-to-back -back cups. No one's going to 
really think twice if they lose this series. But Toronto obviously has so much on the line, just given their history. You know, the past five playoff defeats, the core, Matthews, Marner, you know, Kyle Dubas, Sheldon Keith, like they've they've built up to this point. Uh, they use the regular season to try to springboard them, themselves into the playoffs to have a better outcome. And they're a really good team. I think there's a little bit of underrating of the Leafs just based on their playoff history. They're a really good team. They have every chance in the world to beat Tampa. But Tampa is obviously, you know, the two-time champs for a reason. You know, Joe, and uh, we look at Tampa Bay, and I think we see a little bit of a different team than we've seen in the past. When I ask you a little bit about the supporting cast, Joe, about this Lightning team, Yanni Gord, Coleman, Goudreau, some of the glue guys that were critical in winning back-to-back Stanley Cups, they're no longer there. Does Tampa still have a good enough supporting cast right now? I think they do, and they did a great job at the deadline, I think, in kind of supplementing their core. Uh, Nick Paul, as you know really well, Ian, uh, the Senators there, has been a really uh, terrific addition to them. He's playing, I think, uh, some key minutes, and he'll be in the penalty kill, and uh, he had 14 points in his first you know, 16 games of lightning. Um, so he'll be a guy who'll be getting some tough matchups as well. Uh, Brandon Hagel, plus some two first-round picks and two prospects. Uh, he helped provide some depth there. So uh, not going to replace the Yanni Gord line. I think almost like the ghost of the Yanni Gord line last couple of years, how good they were with Blake Coleman and, and Barkley Goudreau. So not the same thing, but they do have some guys that, you know, you know, Kucherov, Stamkos, point, those sort of guys are probably going to carry them offensively, but they have guys that can score some key clutch goals, like Nick Paul has done in the past in World Juniors and World Championships and obviously in Junior. You know, it's, it's funny, Joe, that you mentioned Kucherov, Point, and Stamkos, because I think there's a lot of star power going into this series for both sides. In fact, I think it's a great collection of some of the best offensive stars in the game, and yet... There's this feeling like we might be on the precipice of a physical matchup here, at least when you listen to the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. But I'll start with you, Joe, on that one. Um, what's going to win out in this series, skill or physicality? I was about to say both, but I guess, you know, I think what the Lightning are at their best when they're physically engaged. And this is not just like all the scrums or there's nothing about cheap shots or being goons or whatever like that. Uh, they're, when they're engaged physically, you know, in the forecheck or just – Overall, against our team's top players, their defense is big and they're heavy and they'll, they'll lean on you. That's when they were at their best in the playoff runs as they were defending and they were being hard uh, to play against. So um, I think that there'll have to be some, some physicality here, again, especially against Matthews and Marner and guys that haven't done in the playoffs yet but have been so explosive in the regular season and historic season. So um, at the end of the day, the Lightning did win the Cubs because they had their star players being their stars. And I think that the Leafs will have to have their star players being their stars to win this series, of course. So, uh, But there'll have to be some – it won't quite be, I don't know if it's going to be, what did he say, like, you know, borderline violent kind of thing, but it will definitely be some physicality going on in game one starting now. Yeah, you know what, and Jonas, that, that borderline violent comment is the one that obviously got a lot of traction, mm-hmm. and uh, we're seeing a little bit in the lineup too, no Jason Spezza, so do the mm-hmm. Toronto Maple Leafs believe they can kind of sandpaper their way? to a seven-game series win over Tampa? I think they think so. I'm just not totally sure that this is who they are. Like, the line that they're dressing that you're referring to is Kyle Clifford with Wayne Simmons and Colin Blackwell. That's like a line that hasn't played a lot together. Kyle Clifford hasn't played a lot this season. Wayne Simmons has not been particularly effective, you know, for the second half of the season. They're hoping that line can kind of match the physicality, the edge that Tampa tends to play with. It just strikes me that this is not really who they are. And and I don't love the idea of changing who you are in some ways in a playoff series. I would have preferred Jason Spezza to be in the lineup, but he was excellent, obviously, in the playoffs for them last year. And actually, if you look at some of the underlying numbers, when Spezza played with Clifford and Blackwell, that line was actually really good. 
maybe it'll work. Maybe they they feel like that that physicality, that edge will give them kind of an advantage in a, in a tense game one. Uh, I just I would rather they have gone a different direction. Now, uh, you know, the Maple Leafs for this core, they've all been together. There's going to be a lot of scrutiny on Kyle Dubas, Sheldon Keefe. Just wondering which member of the Maple Leafs you think, uh, from from a player's perspective, Jack Campbell, Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, is going to be facing the most heat here in uh, in the playoffs? I think you could probably order it any way you want, but I would probably start with Jack Campbell just because he is facing the best goalie in the world. Uh, he had an up-and-down regular season. He was awesome uh, in November. He really struggled from December to basically March. Um, and you know, we've seen in the past, you know, the past playoffs, their goaltending has not been good in important moments. And that can obviously really decide a series. And then obviously my number two answer would probably be Mitch Marner, just based on some of the playoff hurdles that he's gone through. You know, he's not scored a while in the playoffs. Uh, people have looked at his playoff resume the last couple times around and, and it's kind of left them wanting. He's not been productive enough, I think, for the Leafs to be able to win you know, any of these past first round series, you know, you go back actually a few years ago, he was really good against Boston, but that was really early in his career. So Campbell and Marner are kind of the two guys for me that I, I'm really wanting to see how they respond. Uh, and then another guy just who you didn't mention is Jake Muzzin just really struggled with injuries in the second half of the year. And he plays such an important role for him, for the Leafs that if he's not like quite right, you know, they're going to have to kind of go in a different direction. And a final question here to wrap it up, and I'll go back to you, Joe, on this one. Uh, listen, a few days ago, we didn't know who Tampa's first-round opponent was going to be. It could have been Carolina. They could have switched over, right, and done the crossover to the uh, to the, uh, the the Metro. Is this the better path for them? I, I know it's tougher because they got Toronto, then they got Florida. But I guess when you're battle-tested, you probably feel pretty good about yourself. Uh, how are the Lightning, or maybe how are the fans feeling about this is going to be the path for them, which arguably might be uh, as tough a path as anybody's got to get to the Stanley Cup. Yeah, yes, fans are teamed by two different things, right? Um, you know, people see the Panthers historic season are like, you know, uh-oh. But I think anybody who's on that team doesn't really care who they're going to play. And I think they feel, why not play the best teams early on when you're healthy and you're strong, you have the whole lineup together. Let's play the, the best teams early and see if we can beat them before things, uh, you know, get really banged up at the end of this playoff. So blending of one, two cups for a reason, they beat everybody that's been in front of them. So I don't think they're really worried about that. There's some teams they match up maybe better at per se. And maybe the style of Toronto uh, maybe fits them a little better in terms of the way they play. But, um, you know, I just think they're, they're happy to be here and hundred percent healthy. Braden points in the play. Uh, yeah. Ruda's going to play. So at this point, they're just ready to roll after 82 games, dress rehearsal after they played the most important hockey of the year last year in the summer. Now they're ready to get, get it on and, and play here. Uh, for their third trade family cup. Well, listen, looking forward. This might be, um, maybe it's going to be the, uh, the, the the physical bloodbath that some people think. Maybe it's going to be a um, uh, you know an offensive showcase. Whatever it's going to be, I think it's going to be highly entertaining. Uh, listen, Joe Smith, Jonas Siegel, thanks so much for dropping by this live edition of the Athletic uh, Hockey Show. Look forward to your coverage, and I'm sure we'll uh, hit you guys up real soon. Thanks, thanks Ian. Jonas, we'll see All you right. soon. See you, there Joe. we go. Jonas Siegel and Joe Smith getting you set for, uh, boy, it's hard for me to say what is going to be definitively the best series of the first round because we just had Russo and Rutherford on, and I thought, that one feels like it's going seven games. And then you look at Tampa, Toronto, and you're like, man, that one might go seven games. And then the one that's going to kick off the playoff action on Monday night will feature the Boston Bruins and the Carolina Hurricanes. And all of a sudden, I think there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people who are thinking, 
uh, that potentially the Boston Bruins could be primed for an upset. I think uh, Fluto Shinzawa is all set to join me here. Sarah Sivian will join uh, join us uh, in a moment. Fluto, listen, thanks uh, thanks for doing this. Welcome to the uh, live edition of the podcast. Um, how do we feel about the crossover? I was just talking to Joe Smith about this. Someone someone was going to have to cross over, whether it was Tampa or Boston. How are the Bruins or maybe how are Bruins fans feeling about the fact that their path to the Final Four will go through the Metro and not the Atlantic? Ian, I think they would be feeling good about it if they can get past the first-round opponent, right? That's that's the trick here because you look at Rangers. Okay, they're they're – they're quite reliant, not as reliant as they were earlier in the season uh, on Shesterkin. Uh, I think they're a very well-rounded team, but it's still pretty goalie reliant. Pittsburgh, who knows when the age starts to show and who knows what the goaltending situation is for them. So, yes, in that sense, okay, Bruins fans probably looking forward to that. But you can't look past this opponent. Got your, got your teeth kicked in for three straight games in the regular season. Outscored 16-1. to Boy, that is looking like a, an awful matchup for the Bruins just based on the regular season. Now you can say, and the Bruins are saying, well, regular season doesn't mean anything. They were a different team. They were, we have a different uh, defenseman, a number two defenseman, Hampus Lindholm, a different goalie. Well, last game they played, this guy named Tuka Rask was in that, uh, and he's gone. He's on the rocking chair. So a lot has changed for the Bruins, and they are at full health. But still, Carolina, they come with all kinds of speed, and that's going to present a whole lot of problems for the Bruins. You know, I thought it's interesting you brought up Tuka Rask in a rocking chair because you know what? He's out, and all of the pressure now in the spotlight goes to Jeremy Swayman. And you know what? In a year in which I felt like Moritz Sider and Lucas Raymond and Trevor Zegers and uh, Michael Bunting and, you know, go down the list, there was a lot of rookies who got a lot of uh, credit I don't think Jeremy Swayman got a ton of credit, at least nationally. Uh, what's the feeling around his ability to maybe uh, you know elevate his performance, Fluto, and maybe uh, maybe pull off an upset here? Well, Jeremy was was very good. You'd have to say he's the top rookie goalie um, of the season, just because he had played. It was he started off okay, got really hot January, February, uh, and then kind of tailed off, and that left the door open. Berlinus Allmark, who will start game one. So, but uh, the, the door has certainly not closed on Jeremy. Um, in years past with Tuca, it was it was his show the whole time. It was going to be his net regardless if he let in 10 goals. Yes, he get pulled, but he's going to go right back in the next game. That will not be the case for the Bruins this year. Allmark will start, and perhaps, who knows? Who knows how long he'll play? But it was even Steven throughout the regular season, 41 appearances for both Jeremy and for Linus. So why deviate from that in the right in the in the postseason? Just because it's been the way that this has gone all year. And by the way, zero NHL playoff starts for Linus, zero NHL playoff starts for Jeremy. So a whole lot of question marks in goal for the Bruins. But yes, uh Jeremy uh is right there knocking on the door waiting for his chance to play. You know, you know, I think we've got Sarah Sivian all set to join us here uh, into the conversation. And there we go. We bring her in, Sarah Sivian. Thanks. Uh, listen, thanks for dropping by. We were just talking goaltending. And it's funny. I was just talking with uh, Russo and Rutherford. It's all about goaltending. Jonas Siegel. Oh, it's all on Jack Campbell. Fluto talked about how there might be a little fluidity with the, uh, the Boston Bruins goaltending situation. And that brings us to Carolina, where they might have a very, very interesting situation in goal. Can you give our viewers and our listeners a little bit of a sense of where things are at with Freddie Anderson? Yeah, I'm going to say if you're the Hurricanes, it can't be about goaltending because they cannot worry about that right now. They got to, who knows, there's going to be, Ronta's getting the start game one and we'll see how that goes. I think that is much 
if you're going to go with somebody that isn't Anderson, it has to be Randa just because he is going to be the backup no matter what happens. So you have to show him, I have full faith in you, right? Like if he has to be the starter right now, then he can be the backup when Freddie returns, which it doesn't look like game, obviously not game one, but it doesn't look like game two or three either. It could be the end of this um, series here, or maybe not. I don't know. It is a very fluid situation right now because he like mentally needs to be 100%. And he has been going over some of the movements that he does and it is not where he wants to be right now. So not great vibes there, but they can't be too concerned with goaltending because it just is what it is. You know, one of the things Fluto mentioned, which I think is a, a big talking point coming into this series is that Carolina just dummied Boston in the, in the regular season head to head uh, is part of Rod Brindamore's message a little bit about guarding against relying too much on those, those head to head meetings from the regular season. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We asked him about that the other day and I knew what he was going to say. It's irrelevant. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And then he even referenced the Rangers play in series that the Rangers swept the hurricanes and then the hurricanes beat them in the play in series. And then the same thing happened with Washington a few years ago. So they've been on the other side of that and they know how powerful the kind of prove people wrong mentality is. It's almost more powerful than the actual head-to-head regular season matchup. So they got to keep their head on a swivel in that regard and know that it doesn't mean all that much, especially without Freddie, who had amazing numbers during that series. So I'll tell you what, before we uh, wrapped up, uh, wrap up this conversation, I'm going to go to each of you to ask for your X factor. So Fluto, I'll start with you. I'm looking for somebody beyond the Pasternak, Marchand, Bergeron, like somebody outside of the obvious that might be a kind of an X factor swing factor in this series uh, for the Boston Bruins. Who, who might we want to key in on there? That's a great question. And I think I'll go with Jake DeBrusque because in these first two playoff meetings that the Bruins had with the, with the hurricanes 2019 in the Eastern conference final, and then 2020 in the bubble, they ran the big lines, the, the big boys, Marchand, Bergeron, Bostonog. And there, there was no even hint of Bruce Cassidy changing that. It's different now. They've got Postnark on the second line now with Taylor Hall and Eric Halla. They feel that that gives them a better chance in terms of overall balance um, when it goes uh, up against Carolina. So what does that mean? Well, Jake's going to have to pull his weight on the first line, and he has. He's been he's been good. This is a player that wanted out, still wants out, um, but has scored 20-plus goals. Um, and playing with Martian and Bergeron, you're going to get your chances. You're going to get your opportunities, but you're also going to be playing against real good players. Um, so Jake, he, he can't just be along for the ride. He's got to be contributing. Uh, otherwise, who knows? Maybe maybe uh, the emergency glass gets broken and Pashnak goes back up to the first line, which is probably not a direction the Bruins want to go in. So Fluto goes with Jake DeBrusque. Sarah, same question to you. Outside of the obvious, the Ahos and the Svechnikovs and, and you know the guys that are at the top of the, uh, the, the scoring list for Carolina, who's somebody who might be a little bit of an X factor here for Rod Brindamore? I think Rod keeps saying he loves kind of the rookies because they don't know what they don't know. And sometimes ignorance is bliss in the playoffs. And I've kept asking about Seth Jarvis, who I gave a number five nod to in the Calder because I think with more time on ice, he could have done more. And he's going to be on the first line too. And Rod is giving him this opportunity now. He's very elusive. And um, Jordan Martinuk today said he acts like he's 30 years old and he has just a great spirit. I think he can definitely 
kind of keep the guys younger, even though he has an old mentality. And he's been scoring a lot recently. He comes into the playoffs on a seven-game point streak. So make it eight, I guess. There we go. Listen, if you're looking for a last minute to pick in your hockey pool, uh, Jake DeBrus, Seth Jarvis, the way to go. The sneaky picks from uh, from Sarah and Fluta. Look, we're going to really enjoy. This is the first game to kick off the entire Stanley Cup playoffs. We're looking forward to it. And your coverage of uh, both the Bruins and the Hurricanes. Fluto and Sarah, thanks so much for dropping by. Okay. Thanks so much. All right, there goes uh, Fluto and Sarah. And uh, it's an old, it's like an old Adams Division matchup, right? Old school Whalers-Bruins round one. And uh, that'll be the first game. Uh, on Monday, as uh, we we kick off the Stanley Cup playoffs, that's the very first game puck drop uh, from uh, from Carolina tonight. Listen, what we're going to do? We are uh, we've we've hit on three series, three down, five to go. When we come back on the other side, uh, I'm really excited for Nashville, Colorado. A lot of people might think that this is a one sided series, but it is going to give us, I think, an opportunity to uh, look at arguably the two best defensemen in the game, or certainly the two uh, candidates for the Norris Trophy in uh, Kale McCarr, Roman Yossi. So Adam Vingen, Peter Baugh, standing by. We'll uh, continue on the other side. This is a live edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. Like I said, three series down, five to go as we kick off the opening round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. For a lot of people, this is the most fun time of year. 16 teams alive in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, we, we teed up three games that uh, are all happening, or three series, sorry, that are all happening tonight. Uh, Nashville, Colorado, though, doesn't get underway tonight. That starts tomorrow, but we're super excited for this one. Uh, let's bring in Adam Vingen and Peter Baugh. They cover the uh, Nashville Predators and the Colorado Avalanche, respectively. Gentlemen, thanks for uh, dropping by this live edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. And Adam, I'm going to start with you on this one because you know what? What I like about this series is it's a touch of an old-school David and Goliath. We don't really get too many of these underdog against the favorite. Um, There's not a lot of people pulling for Nashville here, but walk us through, Adam, how Nashville could pull off a stunning upset here. How could it happen? It's going to be difficult if the Predators are without UC Soros and they're preparing to get on the ice in Denver for practice, their first postseason practice. So we'll see if UC Soros attempts to give it a go, but it does not sound promising as of now um, for his opportunity, for a chance for him, excuse me, uh, to play in the series or at least the start of the series. So if UC Soros is out of this series, it really does come down to David Riddick giving the Predators comparable goaltending, which is going to be hard for him to do because UC Soros was an all-star goaltender. He started more games than any goaltender in the National Hockey League this season. 
He was among the top goalies in the league in terms of goal saved above expected. David Riddick was a sub-replacement sub level goaltender in, in, in limited playing time, I might add, but he was not great in the games he did play. So, you know, without, without that security blanket in UC Soros, it's going to be hard for them. The one thing I think that the Predators do have, at, they do have to their advantage is their ability to ratchet up the physicality. Uh, this Avalanche team certainly has players who are willing to do that. As a team, however, they are not as physical as the Predators. So if the Predators can drag the Avalanche into a proverbial rock fight, I do think that the Predators can make things interesting, but I am having a very difficult time coming up with reasons for optimism if UC Soros is unavailable to play. And, you know, and, and Peter, that, that'll bring the conversation over to you because so much of the Stanley Cup playoffs are predicated on health. And if you can get your top players all in there and everyone feeling good, um, that's going to improve your odds. Look, Nashville knows, as, as um, Adam just said, if, if we don't have UC Soros, Nashville is thinking we may not have a chance. Now, where are we at when it comes to Gabriel Landis-Cog? Because I think that is a huge factor for uh, the Avs, and maybe you can uh, kind of just let us know where things are at with uh, with Landis-Cog. He's good to go. He uh, he spoke today. He's he's feeling good. He um, He's been skating for about 10 days. He's been a full participant in the last two practices, and he should be good to go with, with no problems. Uh, one interesting, I guess, wrinkle is that Nazem Kadri has been been sick and has missed the last two days of practice. It's a non-COVID illness, but we'll see if that ends up uh, being a, a point of concern for Colorado and if he'll if he'll be able to play. You know, it, it's interesting you mentioned Nazem Kadri, Peter. Uh, for, for our listeners who did not read your feature on Nazem Kadri uh, about a week ago, outstanding. Honestly, that, that's the Thank type you. of it, – it's one of those, you know, when, when, when you get the at, the at the bottom of the comments where people are like, that's why I subscribe to The Athletic. <laughs> I read that. I'm like, that's why I love The Athletic. But I do want to, to, to focus on Nazem Kadri. Maybe he's going to miss game one with the non-COVID uh, illness, as you mentioned. But there's going to be a lot of eyes on him because all, all we think about – Nazem Kadri and the inability to stay disciplined in the playoffs. Uh, it's happened not once, not twice, but thrice. Where are we at? Because this guy legitimately had an all-star caliber season, never been as offensively productive. They need him. Can he keep it in check? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a big question going into this series. And I think that the way the Avalanche look at it is that his suspension last year was a lot different than the one in Toronto, which I, I think a lot of people, I mean, certainly the people in the, the comments of my story did not like those avalanche comments, but I, I can see their perspective where it was against Boston with, when he was with Toronto, those were retaliatory plays where he's mad about something that happened, whether it was Jake DeBrusque and him skirmishing all game and all that, or, or the year before both retaliatory plays with Colorado last year, he made a, a check that he, they say he missed and he hit Justin Falk up high. Not in a, it wasn't retaliatory. He was trying to get him away from the puck. And I think you can see that that was the intention. Was it a bad hit? Yes, it 100% was. Um, and he knows that and he's acknowledged that. I don't think they think that the length of the suspension was, was fair. Um, but I think they do think that there is a difference between how he got suspended in the when he's with Toronto and how he got suspended last year with Colorado. And I think that's a really small difference but I think it can matter because it's not like he lost his cool with Colorado it was more he made a bad play and it didn't work out so but yeah it's going to be a big question for this this postseason and I think the 
the only way Nazem Kadri can answer it is to just stay on the ice and play the way he's played all season, which has been at an exceptionally high level. Well, and that exceptionally high level is certainly a good description for both um, Kel McCarr and Roman Yossi. I think uh, unequivocally the two best defensemen in the game. Unequivocally, it's going to be a flip of the coin, I think, when you look at whenever the awards uh, voting, well, it's going to be finalized today. We won't know the results for a few weeks. But this series is obviously going to go a long way I think for a lot of fans and kind of just saying like who had the better season or who's better right now. So I'm going to give each of you an opportunity to kind of just educate our listeners a little bit on the importance of the defenseman that you cover and the type of season that he had. And Adam, I'll start with with you on the unbelievable season that Roman Yossi had for the Preds. It was unbelievable. And uh, for the, for a long time, he was flirting with a hundred points um, he slowed down a little bit at the end, which prevented him from getting there, but he just missed. I believe there had been six or seven defensemen in NHL history that had 100 points in the season either once or multiple times. I may have that number correct, but it was a very small group of defensemen. In my opinion, no defenseman in the league is more elite in transition than Roman Yossi in terms of his ability to move the puck up ice as well as his ability in the offensive zone to create scoring chances for himself and his teammates. Um, I'm, I'm going to be very interested in seeing how this Norris Trophy vote pans out, but I think you're going to see Roman Yossi on a lot of hard trophy ballots um, when it comes to determining value. And that's an interesting conversation about the Norris Trophy, which is, which is by definition for the defenseman that has the greatest all-around ability and the Hart Trophy, the player most valuable to his team. There is no doubt that Roman Yossi was the most valuable defenseman to his team in the National Hockey League. And I I saw something the other day, I referenced it in the story that Peter and I did today, that the last two, the last time a NHL, two NHL defensemen with 80 plus points met in uh, the postseason was in 1984 when Paul Coffey's Edmonton Oilers and Dennis Podvan's New York Islanders met in the Stanley Cup final. So it's been decades since we've seen two defensemen of this caliber scoring-wise meet in the postseason, and I think it's going to be incredible to watch the two most electrifying defensemen go head-to-head. Wow, that, that is an amazing stat. I love that. Coffee and Podvan from 84. Just to give our listeners and viewers a sense of just how rare this is to get two defensemen of this caliber uh, going head-to-head. So, Peter, I'll ask you the same question that I asked Adam, which is, just give our, our our listeners a sense of Kale McCarr's season, because at one point we did think, hey, maybe this guy could score 30, 35. Um, what was his season like, and what's the case for him to be the Norris Trophy winner? Yeah, well, I mean, he, he almost did get 30. He finished with 28, and he had a 29th that hit the post on an empty net. And, uh, well, it was not a 29th. It was almost a 29th. Right. And he, he also had a shootout winning goal, which – according to me, should count as a, a goal. I think all shootout winners should count as goals. Um, that's irregardless of the point. I think uh, Kale McCarr's biggest case is just his his two-way play. Offensively, Yossi's probably had a slightly better season, although point production, while Yossi has 10 more points, I, be- I believe it's 96 to 86 point-wise, if you take out secondary assists and just look at primary points, McCarr only trails by two points, so they're pretty much... They're pretty similar in in that regard. Um, I think that with Kale, what's interesting is just his defensive growth and how how much he's relied upon to go against top competition, which Shana Goldman and I did a story where she kind of did a – she found a way to look at, like, 
if a defenseman plays against top level competition, which is whether they're in the top two defensemen on their team in like opposing GSVA when they're on the ice and McCarr and McAvoy both qualified as playing against top competition and Hedman and Yossi did not. I think um, McCarr was on the ice for 30% of the abs penalty kill time, whereas Yossi was only around 13%. So obviously Yossi extremely offensively gifted. And I think that it's maybe a bit of an unfair knock that he didn't play both ways because he is so good offensively that clearly it's more valuable for him to start in offensive situations, whether the puck's in the offensive zone or all that. Um, But I think just in terms of uh, the margin of difference between offense between the two is pretty slim. And I think Kale McCarr had a a really, really impressive defensive year that, that from, from my perspective probably puts him over Yossi. Uh, But it's, I mean, obviously two incredible defensemen and I, I think it's hard to go wrong with either. Yeah, no, it's it's it, it's so well said. I think they both had uh, Norris Trophy caliber seasons. We'll see how the votes uh, come in, but I'm sure if you ask both of them, uh, they would trade that Norris Trophy for a playoff series win. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Yossi against Makar, just one of the uh, the many uh, matchups to watch in that series. Nashville and Colorado. Adam and uh, Peter, thanks so much for uh, for dropping by the live edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Thanks for thanks having, for having me. me. Good to see you, Adam. There we you go, too, Peter. Adam Vingan and uh, Peter Baud dropping by. And yeah, hey, listen, if, if uh, as Adam says, if uh, if Riddich uh, ends up playing, stealing some games, that might be the ultimate David versus Goliath situation there if Nashville uh, can pull it off. We're talking about Norris Trophy winners. And it's funny because the, the talk all season long was Kale McCarr, Roman Yossi. The reigning Norris Trophy winner is Adam Fox, almost like a forgotten guy because the New York Rangers, uh, when, when you talk about them, it was all about Shesterkin, all about Igor Shesterkin. And uh, that is going to be, I think, the story coming into this series, as I believe we've got, hopefully we've got Arthur Staple, Josh Yoey standing by. Look at this. Perfect. It's an old school Patrick division matchup, isn't it? Penguins and the Rangers. And we love that. Arthur Staple, let's start with you. And uh, by the way, Arthur also does the Garden Faithful podcast. We've got to always give that uh, a plug because uh, Rangers fans, I know, are uh, are certainly uh, tuned into that. So, um a lot of people are wondering about Shesterkin right now, uh, Arthur, because you look at Mar- the month of March, 916 save percentage, and everyone was like, uh-oh, Igor Shesterkin has come back down to earth. And I-, I think a lot of people are just wondering, where is his game at um, as we enter the Stanley Cup playoffs? I think he's going pretty well right now, Ian. You know, uh, he rallied back, I think, in April and had a few good starts. To- him and Alexander Georgiev posted three straight shutouts at one point in April. Um, so I don't think there's too much concern about that. He taught Igor talked today uh, after the Rangers last practice and, you know, he had a week off. He last played on Tuesday against Carolina, which was a loss that kind of turned the tide for Gerard Gallant in terms of resting guys for the last two games. And Shesterkin was one of them. So he hasn't played in a week. And we said, uh, uh, you know, you happy to have that extra rest. And he kind of smiled and said, we'll see, you know, he's, uh, he's a pretty easygoing guy the way that he talks. He's very intense. Um, I think a week of work with with Benoit Allaire, who helped Henrik Lundqvist become the goalie he became, uh, I don't think is too bad a thing. So uh, I don't think anybody's too concerned around the Rangers about Igor Shesterkin and where his game's at, given what he's done over the course of the whole season. Uh, that is not the case, though, Josh, for the goaltending situation in Pittsburgh is, of course, uh, looks like Tristan Barry's at least going to miss the first two games of this series. Maybe more. Maybe you can just uh, let, let's start with that. Fill us in on, on the latest on, on Pittsburgh's number one goaltender. Uh, yeah, guys, uh, Tristan Jari has a broken bone in his foot, and 
we may see him if this series goes six or seven games. I, I suppose it's a possibility, but from everything I've been told, you can expect to see Casey to Smith for the bulk of this series. It's not ideal for the Penguins. Jari, despite his playoff blow up against the Islanders last year, has been very good this season. Um, the good news for the Penguins is that Casey to Smith in the last month has been outstanding. Uh, he is playing his best hockey of the season after a really bad start, but that does not take away from the fact that this is a huge goaltending mismatch. You've got the guy who is probably the best goalie in the world right now against a guy in Casey to Smith, who is a very good backup. Um, let, let's be honest. It's a huge problem for the Penguins. The Smith has never played in the postseason, and uh, it was already probably a rough matchup for the Penguins. This does not help matters one bit. Yeah, It's funny that you, you talk about that, Josh, because look, over the years we've seen the Penguins seemingly play this underdog card, and we're like, no, 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 I'm not falling for it again. But now, this time again, and I've read a lot of your stuff lately, and again, um, is it fair to say that there's some degree of, I guess, pessimism and skepticism about this Pittsburgh's team's ability to just even just win around here? Oh, yeah. I, I can tell you the, the pessimism, or pessimism rather, in, in Pittsburgh uh, is at an all-time high. Um, this is a franchise that has won so much in the last 15 years. Since Crosby, Latang, and Malkin have been in Pittsburgh, no team has won more in the regular season. No team has won more in the postseason than the Pittsburgh Penguins. But the fact is, they've lost four consecutive series. And they are not going into the postseason playing well. They have been so lethargic for the past month. And uh, maybe an optimist would say, well, they knew these games didn't really matter. They're just waiting to flip on the switch. Well, maybe that's the case. I'm not really buying it. I just don't like the way this team looks right now. They look old all of a sudden. And I haven't really said that about the Penguins much over the years. But all of a sudden, they just look like they have hit a wall. Uh, yes, they still have talent, but I, I don't expect them to win this series, quite frankly. And I don't think many people in Pittsburgh do. Uh, it, you know, they smell a little bit like decay, like, like the Kings and the Blackhawks. And everyone says every year they're going to be the Kings and the Blackhawks eventually. And and it's amazing what they've done. They, they've lasted a lot longer than those two great teams did. But I, I wonder if we're not moving into that territory a little bit. You know, Arthur, I just uh, had, um, uh, you know, Adam and Peter on from, from Nashville and Colorado. And we were just talking about the uh, the wonderful seasons Kale McCarr and Roman Yossi had. And I just said, you know, it kind of feels like Adam Fox has been forgotten. Like he was last year's Norris Trophy winner. And he didn't even kind of get on the radar for a lot of people in the conversation this year. Where's Adam Fox's game at right now as uh, as we head into this series? And could he be a difference maker for the Rangers? I mean, he certainly could, you know. Uh... Yeah, he didn't have a Norris Trophy winning season, but he had 74 points, I think, uh, 63 assists. He was in the top 15 in the league in assists. Uh, you know, those are Brian Leach type numbers around here with the Rangers that we haven't seen in a long, long time from a defenseman. So certainly his ability to run a power play and a power play as lethal as the Rangers top unit has been, uh, that's still pretty high end. And, you know, he plays the most minutes on the D. Um he got hurt right before their two-week break in February, took a hard hit in a game in Columbus and came back after two weeks off and didn't quite look like, uh, you know, Norris Trophy winning Adam Fox or even 80% of that guy. Um, but he's still a guy who can play 22, 23 minutes a night. He's out there killing penalties when he needs to. Um, you know, and I think the thing that's allowed the Rangers to feel okay about him maybe taking a, a small step back is the emergence of Keandre Miller on the second pair with Jacob Truba Miller. Uh, is in his second year, you know, struggled a little bit at the beginning of the year, but a guy who's 6'4", who skates well, 
has a little bit of offense to his game and incredible reach and, and footwork. Um, that Miller Truba pair, I think really has been their, their number one pair. Uh, and, you know, and always when you're facing the Penguins in the playoffs, you got to pick your poison, right? You either got to shut, try to shut down Sidney Crosby or shut down Evgeny Malkin, uh, or sometimes guys shut down either of them and the Penguins go stomping onto a Stanley cup. Well, this, this year, I think the Rangers under Gerard Gallant, they've got a top four uh, defense in, Fox and Ryan Lindgren and Miller and Truba that they feel like they can match them up against anybody. And especially on home ice in the garden, the first two games, they're going to get the matchups they want in terms of their D facing off against Crosby or Malkin. And uh, if they can kind of establish that in those first two games with Shesterkin playing behind them, they feel really good about how they're going to play this series. You know, Josh, when you hear uh, Arthur talk about Crosby and Malkin, as you mentioned, look, they're getting towards the end of their career here. They're, um, they're, they're certainly not the guys that they were four or five years ago, but my goodness, they're so dangerous, especially Sid has just had a dynamite year. Uh, is there a feeling, though, in Pittsburgh that with Malkin headed to free agency, with Letang headed to free agency, this is the last the last great ride for the Penguins trio? Yeah, there is. Uh, you know, Crosby's still under contract for three more years, but Malkin and Letang are unrestricted free agents. Um, I don't think they'll both be back. If I had to bet money, I, I bet Malkin will be back. I don't know that Chris Letang will. Um, there is certainly that sense. Crosby has had a great season. He, he had a slow start. He had COVID. He had wrist surgery, uh, missed training camp. From about the beginning of December until now, he's been one of the best players in the league. He's as, not quite as great as he was maybe 10 years ago, but to me, he's still one of the five or six best players in hockey. Malkin is interesting. He, he scored 20 goals in 41 games. That sounds great. And he is still lethal on the power play. The power play very much still goes through him. Uh, five on five, he has really struggled. Uh, he hasn't put up much offense five on five. He's been a mess defensively. A team worst minus 10. I know we don't like that statistic, but when it's one of the best players on the team that's the team worst minus, that, that gets your attention. He's not been good five on five at all. Needs to be way better against the Rangers in that department. Um, so it'll be fascinating to watch Crosby and Malkin love playing at the garden. They always play well there. Malkin in particular, uh, Malkin to me is kind of the X factor for the Penguins. If he can have kind of a vintage Malkin performance in this series, and I won't put it past him. He's usually great in the playoffs. Maybe the Penguins have a puncher's chance. You kind of know what you're getting from Sid all the time and he'll be terrific. Uh, Malkin, he's always a little bit of a mystery. And a final question to you, Arthur, as, as uh, Josh mentions, Malkin could be an X factor. I just want to ask you about Alexi Lafreniere, who you know, he played in 79 regular season games. And I'm sure a couple of years ago, if you said, hey, in 2022, the Rangers are going to make the Stanley Cup playoffs, you would figure that uh, the, the number one overall pick from 2020 would be uh, a, you know, a catalyst, a driving force. What's his role like right now on this team? And can he have an impact at all in, in the playoffs for the mm -hmm. Rangers? He sure could. You know, he's played in a lot of different spots this year because of COVID or injuries. He's bounced up and around the, the top nine, even played a little bit fourth line at the beginning of the year. Um, and he handles it all with uh, with kind of the nonplussed air of, uh, of a Zoomer. You know, he seems to just not be phased by too much. And uh, he did put up 19 goals. He had a really good, you know, really good last couple weeks of the season, I think, which uh, for him might have been important just because the confidence could have waned a little bit. And he's going to probably start uh, tomorrow night in game one on a, on a kind of a kid line on the third line with Philip Hedl in the middle uh, and Capo Caco on the right side. So you've got uh, a couple of top two picks from from that Rangers rebuild uh, on a third line that might end up being the line that gets the fewest minutes. You know, Gerard Gallant 
has kind of used Alexi Lafreniere very sparingly five on five. He doesn't get a ton of power play time because that top unit is so lethal. Um, so he's got to do a lot with a little, uh, you know, he's probably the first guy that gets moved up if there's some issues, injuries or otherwise in the top six. But, but for now, I think as a third line, you know, they're going to get some sheltered minutes at home and, and maybe with those, you know, they're, they're incredibly good top two lines with Mika Zibanejad in line one and, and Ryan Strom and Artemi Panarin on line two. And a fourth line with Barkley with Barkley Goodrow and Kevin Rooney. That's going to be kind of their de facto checking line. That third line with Lafreniere could sneak in and find some cracks in in the Penguins' D and and maybe provide some offense that the Rangers certainly would love to have. They they get enough from their top six to to do okay and finish where they finish with 110 points. But if Lafreniere can kind of be the the play driver of that line with two guys that have had up and down seasons, then yeah, I think that makes the Penguins. Uh, problems this season this series even more even greater yeah this 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 is going to be great like i said anytime you get an old patrick division matchup it's great anytime you get first overall picks involved and uh and and you know heart trophy candidate goaltenders this is going to be a lot of fun uh josh yoey arthur staple thanks for dropping by this uh, live edition of the athletic hockey show thanks, you got it, Ian. all right there they go and uh yeah this, this should be a lot of fun because uh, you know, the Rangers have arguably the best goalie on the planet. They've got a 50-goal scorer in Chris Kreider and Artemi Panarin and Mika Zibanejad and Adam Fox. And uh, it's going to be a uh, – should be a lot of fun. I thought it was interesting, too, to hear uh, Arthur, who, by the way, once again, a little plug for Arthur's uh, Garden Faithful podcast, uh, talk about a kid line with Alexi Lafreniere. Because I think the original kid line, when you think about the kid line uh, in the playoffs, you think about the Oilers winning the Stanley Cup in 1990. They had Marty Jelena. Adam Graves and Joe Murphy. That was the original kid line that helped the Oilers win the Stanley Cup in 1990. And speaking of the Oilers, we're going to uh, connect with uh, Daniel Nugent Bowman uh, to set up that series against the LA Kings coming up on the other side. We've uh, run through five series, got three to go as we continue on with this Monday live edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. All right, we're back at it here. Five series down Three to go, and we just teed up a couple of series that won't start on Monday, but we do have one more that will tee up uh, for tonight, uh, for Monday night. It's the late one. It is the Edmonton Oilers at home to the Los Angeles Kings, Daniel Nugent Bowman, Lisa Dillman, who cover the Oilers and uh, the Kings, respectively. There we go. We got them all set. Both of you, look, listen, first of all, thanks for joining this live edition of uh, of the Athletic Hockey Show. Well, you're very welcome. Yeah, Thanks for to, having us. Yeah, great to have you both. Uh, you know, Sean McIndoe, down goes Brown and I had some fun with this last week of the podcast saying, boy, Mike Smith and uh, Jonathan Quick met in that Western Conference final in 2012, Arizona, L.A., 10 years later. It's them again uh, hooking up in, in a Stanley Cup playoff series. Lisa, let me start with you. And uh, let's uh, we've uh, such a theme today has been goaltending. I mean, where's Jonathan Quick's game at? Um, where, where Where's L.A. at when it comes to their goaltending right now? It's not quite on Golden Pond, but uh, it is fascinating to have a 40-year-old and a 36-year-old doing battle again. Um, Jonathan, it, it's a really interesting story. He, you know, he didn't start the season opener. Cal Peterson did, which seems like years ago rather than months ago against the Vegas Golden Knights. And it really did seem like the torch had been passed. But in the last month, Quick has been like the quick of old. His demeanor, you know, his play on the ice and his demeanor off the ice, you know, tight, one-word answers, almost surly. And when you see him like that, you know he he's really ready for the postseason experience. So it's a, it's been quite a, you know, turning back the clock type feel with him. And uh, I think Kings fans are seeing, you know, we're all seeing, I'm reminded of 10 years ago, eight years ago, the quick of old. 
Yeah, 2012-2014, he was uh, just dynamite and backstopping LA to uh, a couple of Stanley Cups. Uh, Mike Smith is an interesting one, Daniel, because I think at the trade deadline, we were all screaming, trade for a goalie! And then they didn't, and then Mike Smith turned back the clock. I mean, how much how much confidence is there in Smith to get the job done here? And, and not just maybe win a series, but maybe take Edmonton three rounds deep and, and beyond. Yeah, I'll do a little shameless promotion because I did write about Mike Smith this morning for The <laughs> Athletic. And I think the main thing with him is just getting healthy. I mean, the the first half of the year, he played about five games. Uh, and then when he came back uh, post-All-Star off, break, um, he was really battling it. He, you know, he hadn't really returned to full health and, um, you know, talked to some of his, uh, you know, his mentors, his goalie coaches, people that know him well. They're saying you're seeing a lot of Mike Smith on his stomach, which is a, a telltale sign that he he was not comfortable in the net. Um, you know the la, you know second star of the month uh, for for uh, for April with a 9.51 save percentage and two shutouts. I've been playing a, pretty well a little bit before that too. And you know I don't think anyone, uh, as you mentioned, Ian, heading into the trade deadline, if we were saying Mike Smith is going to be the starting goaltender of uh, with the of the Edmonton Oilers with home ice advantage, I don't think anyone would have thought that. And here we are. It's a real testament to the way he has uh, played over the last, you know, month, six weeks or so, um, and getting his game back on track. Uh, he really, he's playing just as well as he did last season when he finished seventh in, in Vesna Trophy and Vesna Trophy voting, I should say. And um, you know, really, you know, uh, he's he's done a, a really shaped his game over the last uh, two years um, uh, to to really turn back the clock and, and be at his best. Uh, uh, you know, as a 38 year old and now uh, pushing 40, he just did turn 40 in. in um, in, in March. So uh, he's a real X factor for these Oilers because if uh, everyone knows what they have up front and if the, the goaltending can, could stand up, there's a potential for this team to go on a bit of a run here. You know, Lisa, for a long time, LA was kind of hanging out with Anaheim and maybe, you know, Detroit and Buffalo and Ottawa at the bottom of the standings. And they took a quantum leap forward this season, qualifying for the playoffs. Is there a feeling like the Kings are just playing with house money here that this, Hey, this is a, this is just going to be a learning experience for the kids. Uh, the older guys get another uh, you know, taste of playoff action. But really, the L.A. Kings are just kind of happy to be here and whatever happens, happens. Well, somebody actually did use that phrase in, in availability the last couple of days, house money. And of course, you know, players and coaches will, will say what you expect them to say. You know, we're, we're not just here just to, to be here to have escaped the lottery club. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Ian, and I, Ian and I have been members. <laughs> but they, they, they're saying all the things that, that you expect a team to say. Um, and and let's, let's face it, it, they are the underdogs. But yeah, I, I think... They're also viewing it. There's a short-term picture. There's a long-term picture. Short-term, obviously, it's right in front of us. But this isn't a time for the young kids to get the experience. I mean, they have four of the top six defensemen are playing in their first playoff game ever. This is a you know wildly inexperienced group when it comes to playoff experience. Um, so they they've had those games on the stretches, 15, 20 games of the season, the final games to get in this position. And now they're viewing this as a, a big stepping stone for the organization and, and the kids going forward. You know, uh, Daniel, I'm, I'm curious. We, we talked about Mike Smith and him maybe exceeding some expectations. I think the same could be said for Evander Kane. I think a lot of us looked at Edmonton. They were, uh, a struggling hockey team, and we thought, oh, my goodness gracious, you're adding this combustible part in Evander Kane. This thing could just explode. And instead, Evander Kane's been really good. So why is it work for him, and how big of a factor can he be for them in the uh, in the playoffs? 
Yeah, I mean, he's been the perfect fit for these Oilers um, just because he fits in <clears throat> so well with, uh, you know, the top six. What they really lacked, they didn't have any one of his uh, skill set, any one of his, you know, uh, grit, uh, uh, you know, that that type of um, power forward that, that, quite frankly, is lacking around the NHL these days. And, um, you know, when you put a Vander Kane next to Connor McDavid, which he has been for the most part, he did, he, he has... Um, Played a little, a little bit with the Leon Dreisaitl as well. But, I mean, those are two of the top, I don't know, three, five centermen in the, in the National Hockey League. You can put Evander Kane b- beside one of those guys. And this just ha- had the real potential for uh, for things to work out uh, here in Edmonton. And he's been a real catalyst in their turnaround. You know, of course, um, everyone wondered about the off-ice stuff. But I think the real key for Evander Kane was that this was a real show-me opportunity for him. Uh, you know, if he were to have he you know did, did something untoward and 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 kind of ruin this chance so that you know it could have been strike three for him in the national hockey league and um he certainly has, has done nothing to to uh you know do, do anything wrong i should say here in edmonton has been a real driving force with more than 20 goals in, in half a season's work you know i think lisa if the la kings are able to win this series i think a lot of us would look at it as an upset i think edmonton goes into this not only with home ice advantage but they're i think largely viewed as uh, the favorite but if you go back to last year philip deno was with a uh, a team that was considered a heavy underdog in round 1 and deno was just shutting down some toronto big guns so realistically speaking lisa is there any way that philip deno can do this again reach into the uh uh, the hat and pull out another rabbit here and and maybe shut down Connor McDavid. Oh, I think he's certainly capable of it. And and I, I think as as well as I expected him to play, I thought it was like the most impactful offseason move they made getting him via free agency. But I don't think anybody could have expected the offense he, he provided, uh, you know, career high in goals, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, he's, he's shown he can, you know, do it time and time again. So he, I, I think that he, he has the impact. He's taken some of the pressure off Andre Kopitar offensively, defensively, and, and he's also allowed them to slot other players lower down the lineup to strengthen or to strengthen the bottom six. So, I, you know, the man the man is up for the task. He is, uh, you know, he's he was really loose today in availability and you know making jokes. And somebody asked him a question. And they said, hey, "Could you repeat the the answer for us in French?" And he said, "Well, as long as you as." ask the question in French. And uh, <laughs> so you, you can tell he, he, he's loose. He's, he's, he's feeling, you know, feeling good about things, but I, I sense there's a very, you know, there's a lot of inner strength there in this guy. Yeah. He was just great. Remember last year with the pizza and the press conferences, he just, yeah. he, he had a great uh, kind of feel about him. Uh, Daniel, no no me, pizza today, unfortunately. No, no pizza today. Uh, let, let me wrap it up, uh, Daniel, by asking you this because look, Todd McClellan head coach of the LA Kings used to be behind the bench for, um, of course, the Edmonton Oilers. And the Oilers have had a revolving door of head coaches over the years. And yet it looks like Jay Woodcroft has got the, the magic elixir here. So what has Woodcroft done behind the bench in the last 10 weeks or so to get this ship right and to give them home ice advantage and finally give the Oilers a little bit of stability here? Yeah, and of course, uh, as uh, probably a lot of hockey fans know anyway, that uh, Jay Woodcroft is a longtime, uh, you know, assistant coach of of Todd McClellan, a, a disciple of him. It was it was Todd McClellan who gave Jay Woodcroft his, his first real chance uh, at, at head coaching. He was the uh, video coach of the Red Wings before, and and when McClellan got the uh, head coaching job in San Jose, he brought uh, Woodcroft along with him, promoting him from a you know video coach to a to an assistant coach, and um, 
you know, uh, obviously they were on the same staff here in Edmonton too. So, um, yeah, they, they know each other quite well. And Jay Woodcroft, I would say, has really turned this team around. Um, they were a, a, a below average team, I think, to put it charitably, at five on five. Uh, before Woodcroft's arrival, uh, they really struggled defensively, and and they put a real emphasis uh, on that side of the game. Um, you know, back checking through the neutral zone, uh, angling guys off through the neutral zone, trying to create turnovers there uh, to counterattack off- offensively. And uh, one, uh, you know, Jay Woodcroft brought his right hand man uh, along from Bakersfield, that being. Uh, former longtime NHL defenseman Dave Manson uh, to join the coaching staff. And Manson's really put an emphasis on um, having defensemen stand up uh, the oncoming rush at the blue line. So uh, not allowing, um, you know, clear cut chances with, with uh, the oncoming rush coming right into the zone. And that was a real problem before, uh, you know, the, the Oilers defense would back up to the top of the circle, sometimes the hash marks and, and just allow these clear cut chances on the goaltenders. Um, and so that's, that's really helped, uh, change the, you know, the course of the Oilers season. I mean, they have the, the third, uh, highest, uh, points percentage since, uh, Dave, uh, Manson and Jay Woodcroft arrived here in Edmonton on, um, February 10th, their first game being the 11th, uh, only Calgary and, and Florida, uh, are ahead of them. And, that, and that's a pretty good company. So that, that's, uh, you know, reason to believe, as you mentioned, Ian, that, uh, there's some optimism here. Uh, with this Oilers team and, and with the with the head coach uh, Jay Woodcroft, who who does need a new contract uh, this summer, but uh, we all expect that um, you know if the Oilers were, are to win the series and do well this playoff series, that it, that's a foregone conclusion that he'll be back uh, with a longer term deal behind the bench. Well, Daniel Nugent Bowman, Lisa uh, Lisa Dillman, thanks so much for uh, for dropping by. Looking forward to your coverage, uh, both of you, of uh, of the Kings and the Oilers in round number one. Thanks for uh, thanks for dropping by and uh, in, enjoy the series. Thanks for having us. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. There goes Daniel Nugent Bowman and Lisa Dillman. Uh, just do a terrific job covering the Oilers and the Kings, uh, respectively. And, you know, if Edmonton can advance out of that series, like a lot of people are hoping, it might set up for a battle of Alberta as the Calgary Flames are taking on um, are taking on the Dallas Stars. And that's going to be the next series that we tee up here. As uh, the Dallas Stars and Calgary, we weren't sure if these two teams were going to meet. It took until the final day of the regular season, really, on Friday. It looked like maybe Dallas was going to get Colorado. Not the case. They get the Calgary Flames. And I think we've got Saad Youssef and Haley Salvia. Do we have them both? Look at this. Unbelievable. We get them both into this live (laughs) edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. And Haley, by the way, thank you so much for joining your own show. Uh, We are really, truly honored that you did this. And she froze. Look at that. She froze. Saw it. Okay, listen, maybe we'll have to get Haley back here uh, in a second. I can see your your video's moving. You're good to go. And in fact, I enjoyed your piece, Saad. Uh, you and Haley kind of did a, you know, a preview of, you know, uh, kind of teaching your audience in Dallas a little bit about the Calgary Flames, right? Because we didn't know who the opponent was going to be. Here's my question for you. Let me start with this. Uh, who's going to shut down Johnny Goudreau, Elias Lindholm, and, and, and Matt Kachuk? Arguably the best line in hockey right now. Like, I think if a lot of people had to pick one line, they would go with Goudreau, Lindholm, Kachuk. So how does Dallas have an answer for that? Yeah, that's, that's the that's the big question. And uh, first, before I start, I just want to say Haley is an absolute rock star because she is out there at Stars practice. I wasn't able to make it to Calgary today, so I'll be there tomorrow. But um, – but Haley was able to get out there and and uh, and you know make sure that we were covered on all that. But um, but no, that that is that is the big question. And and honestly, there's two ways that Rick Bonus can go about it. And he hasn't really shown his hand on which way he's going to go. He can either match up the Stars top line, which you know you talk about 
uh, top lines in the NHL. I, Calgary's probably the top one, but Dallas's top line is not far behind with Rope Hans, Jason Robertson, and Joe Pavelski. Um, I think they match up well defensively, um, but the the question is going to be the the Stars' top line is relied on so much for offense that it, it, do you want to really take their uh, energy and their time away from uh, from from where they can contribute offensively for the Stars? where you know the Calgary's top line of Goudreau is going to be in the offensive zone a lot. Do you want to waste Rope Hintz, Robertson, and Pavelski in the defensive zone, and then you don't have any opportunity? The Stars don't have much depth on their roster, so they're not going to be able to generate a lot of scoring. And so that's the question. So it's going to be either that line or the Stars' checking line of uh, Michael Raffle, Roddick Fox, and Luke Glendening. That's what Bonus has done mostly. Um, they're not a great line. I, I know they're the checking line, but... Uh, they even, even them, they don't, uh, they don't really, I guess, shut opponents down. So that's going to be interesting that like this whole, uh, this whole, I guess, uh, dynamic is why after all the stars of the seven C and the Calgary is, you know, division champs. All right. I think we've got Haley back from the technical oh. issues. There we go. Look at that. She's back. <laughs> um, l- let me ask you this because it really took till the Friday Final Friday of the regular season, you didn't know. It looked like it was going to be Nashville. That would have been a really spicy series. It's Dallas. How are how are Calgary fans feeling about getting the Dallas Stars in round one? Yeah, well, you know what? I think that there was always a possibility that it was going to be one or the other. I think, you know, talking to the players, too, they knew that they were going to get off the plane from that Winnipeg game, and it was either going to be Dallas or Nashville that they were playing against. And, you know, I... For me personally, I thought that the gap between a UC Soros-less Predators and a fully healthy Dallas Stars was big enough to say that Nashville would have been the better matchup for Calgary. Um, you know, UC Soros is is out. He's not likely to play in game one. I believe that's still what we've heard out there. And, you know, he he's the MVP of that team this year. I mean, Nashville has so many dangerous players though that they still make me nervous um matt duchene and philip forsberg are 40 plus goal scorers roman yossi has had an excellent season you know a norse trophy potentially heart trophy candidate season um i thought ryan johansson was a better second line center at least offensively than michael backland so there was a lot of little matchup things about this uh nashville and calgary that could make you a little bit nervous even without uc sorrow so i think Dallas on paper is the better matchup for the Flames. Um, Saad was talking about how they don't have a ton of depth. You know, they've got one of the most productive lines in the league with Hintz, Robertson, and Pavelski. And Pavelski is uh, turning 38 this summer and having, you know, probably the most productive career, a productive year of his career. Um, and he's having a really big influence on on the young guys on that team. Um, I think on paper, like I said, Dallas is the easier quote unquote matchup for the Calgary Flames. Um, but you know, this is a a Dallas team that went to the cup final in the bubble year. They have five playoff series wins in the last seven years. They've missed the playoffs a couple times, but that's still more playoff success than the Calgary Flames have had. And that's something that if you ask the Flames players and Daryl Sutter, um, that's something that gives the stars an advantage because guys in that room have been there and done that. And yes, Ben and Sagan didn't have great regular seasons. Um, there's question marks up and down that lineup. But, you know, and I asked Rick Bonus this about those two players specifically um, at practice today. 
you know, where are they at? And he said, yeah, they, you know, they're disappointed in their regular season. They weren't great, but this is, this is different. It's a clean slate. You could have an amazing regular season. You could have a terrible regular season. It does not matter because now it's the playoffs. It's best of seven and you can rise to the occasion or you can't. Um, so there's lots of guys in that locker room in Dallas who could rise to the occasion now. And they have, and I think Ben and Sagan, um, regardless of what they did in the regular season, makes some flames fans kind of nervous because they've, uh, They've played pretty good against Calgary in the past. You know, it's funny that that Haley mentions Saad that, uh, you know, the playoffs is a time when you can make your reputation, make, uh, you know, make a name for yourself. And I'm wondering if this is the opportunity for Jason Robertson to make a name for himself nationally. Like maybe you can give us an idea of just how good this young man is, because I don't I don't think enough people know how good he has been for uh, the Dallas Stars. And if it wasn't such a crowded field, I'm sure he'd probably get a little bit more love in that heart, uh, heart trophy uh, conversation. Yeah, actually, we were talking about that with, uh, I, I think I was talking about that with, you know, a, a couple of other writers, Shane and Goldman, like we were talking about, uh, and, and like Dom, like, you know, they, they have all these different metrics and ways that they measure the heart. Um, and like, you know, whether you look at like Huberdo in Florida, and, and obviously like Austin Matthews and, um, and, and everything like that. And when you look at the pure definition of most valuable um, without Jason Robertson, the stars are nowhere near the playoffs. I mean, they're not, they're not in the playoffs, but I don't even think they're fighting for the playoffs down the stretch. Like this was a 41 goal score for a team that literally, I mean, they, they just scoring goals is such a tall task for them. So I think that when you, when you look at the way Robertson has been able to produce and hints as well, but, um, hints kind of did break out into the playoffs, um, before, like whether that was 2019 against Nashville and the blues and then the 2020 bubble, but you're right. This is Robertson's big chance. And this is, um, you know, the big thing about him is, you know, the knock on him was his skating and things like he just has a knack for finding ways to score. Like it doesn't, it doesn't always have to be, uh, it doesn't always have to be on the rush. It doesn't always have to be on the power play, but he just finds a way. Um, he has great hands. He has great, uh, stick work and and you know you kind of see that throughout and I think this is a big chance for him um the the thing is he I, he just doesn't seem to put a lot of pressure on himself um and I think that is something that will uh that will serve that will serve him well so I think that's that that's a big plus for the stars and and honestly I think it's a big plus for the NHL too because I think Jason Robertson is one of the most marketable players around the league uh, in terms of his personality and everything like that. So I think I think uh, Robertson, the Stars, and the NHL in general could uh, benefit from that. Hey, speaking of market uh, marketable commodities, I think Johnny Goudreau and, and Matthew Kachuk would fall into that category. To wrap up this conversation, Haley, let me ask you this. Is there anything that Goudreau and Kachuk, who are coming off 100-point regular seasons, can do in the playoffs that will drastically alter their contractual situations. Matthew is a restricted free agent, Johnny Goudreau, an unrestricted free agent. Is there anything they can do that will really alter things, the value of their deal, or are people pretty much set in knowing exactly what these guys are probably worth? It's a good question. I think it depends on who you ask, right? I think there's probably some people in this market who are going to be inclined to say that Johnny Goudreau is not as valuable as they thought he was if he can't produce in the postseason. Um, some people will probably say that about Matthew Kachuk as well. But I also think there's another side of it, too. Um, if the Flames cannot have success in the postseason with one of the best teams they've had in a long time, are Johnny Goudreau and Matthew Kachuk going to want to lock in long term in a market where they don't know if they can get it done? I think there's two sides to that coin. I think it really depends who you ask. I think 
you know, I did a story, I guess a couple of months ago now, you know, about Matthew's future in Calgary. And I think one of the most important things for him is, you know, having success with his team. Like this is a player who wants to win. Um, and if you can't win in Calgary, maybe that sways what he wants to do long-term. Maybe that sways what Johnny Gaudreau wants to do long-term. You know, I think there's so many different things that are going to go into those contract extensions that it's hard to just say that, you know, if they can't play really well in the playoffs, well, then it's all over or while they're going to sign for cheap. Um, you know, because I think if Johnny Gaudreau stays and he gets the contract that people believe he might in this market, are they going to have enough money for Matthew and Mangiapane and <laughs> Shillington and, and everyone else they have to resign or if Johnny Lee's is someone like Matthew going to say, you know, what's my long-term future look like in Calgary without Johnny Gaudreau, who is the single most skilled player on this hockey team. So I do think there's an element to it that if they don't produce in the playoffs, um, maybe their value goes down a little bit because that's the time when you got to prove it. This is different. This is what it's all about, right? You want to win. You need those players to step up. And if they can't, maybe they're not as valuable as they thought. Um, but I don't know if that's, because, I mean, you see the other side of it, too. Look at how much money Blake Coleman and Barkley Goudreau made by showing how valuable they are to their team in the postseason. Those aren't the most skilled players in the league. Those aren't the Kachucks and the Goudreaux's, but those, well, I guess Goudreau spelled a different way. Um, but those are guys who are incredibly valuable when it matters. So I think there's going to be elements of that, but I don't think you can, like, narrow it down to just one thing. I just think there's going to be so much that goes into it. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Again, uh, just trying to see what Dallas can do to shut down Goudreau, Lidholm, Kachuk might be the key to that uh, uh, that series. Listen, uh, Haley and Saad, thanks for dropping by. Uh, we got to move along, but uh, enjoy the series. And Haley, it's always great when you decide to drop by the Monday edition of the podcast. I was at the rink from 10 a.m. until 2.30, okay? <laughs> There's... <laughs> All it's right, fine. awesome. So, I hey. was picking up sod slack. He couldn't get on an airplane soon enough, so I had to hang around stars practice. Yeah. I, I hey, say, I get, Jason I Robertson get... is lovely. I feel yeah, like hey. we had the like the scrum, like yeah. that is like cool surfer dude, California vibe, like says yeah. everything, he's no filter. Rick <laughs> is great. Like I'll hang around stars practice over talking to Ian any day. There, yeah. there, there you go. Okay. I, I, I got to <laughs> leave it there though, guys. Cause you know what? I got to move on. I'm so sorry. Maybe you guys can continue this conversation offline. I got to get to Tarek uh, Al-Bashir here because he's got a hard out here coming up. So again, Haley Salvi and Saad Yusuf, thanks for dropping by this live edition of the athletic hockey show. All right. So yeah. we are, we are uh, going to get to one last series. We've teed up seven and now it's eight. remember Daniel Nugent Bowman said the three best teams in the NHL for the last couple of months have been Edmonton, Calgary, Florida Panthers to help tee up the Panthers and Washington Capitals. As I mentioned, Tarek Al-Bashir is all set, ready to join us. We've got a couple of minutes with him, Tarek. Uh, let me start with this uh, question. Everyone wants to know, how is Alexander Ovechkin doing? He was banged up late in the series, uh, season, that uh, shoulder ailment against Toronto. What, what percentage of health do we expect uh, Alex Ovechkin to be at for game one? You know, I think it's really difficult to say what percentage of health uh, he's going to be at, but he is uh, healthy enough to suit up. I've watched him very closely over the last two practices. Um, he looks to me like he's been going eight tenths, nine tenths uh, in practice. The the really the, the thing that really stood out to me was the last two days. Um, once practice was over, he and Nicholas Backstrom went to one end of the ice, and he just hammered one timers. And if your shoulder is still bothering you. Um, you know, the day before game one, you're not, you're not going to be hammering one time. So I think he's going to be good to go. Um, 
you know, this is a little bit of deja vu for the Capitals. Remember, he was banged up at the end of last season. He had groin and back injuries. Um, missed seven of eight games down the stretch. Played in the finale. Suited up in the playoffs. He was in the 100%. I think he ended up having two goals and two assists, but he wasn't quite himself. So the thing to watch tomorrow night in game one is, you know, you know what percentage is he at? Because this Capitals team isn't going to be long for the playoffs if OB is at 75%. You know, one of the things, and, and we've talked, I talked to Lisa Dillman about this, about L.A. going into their series. Oh, they're playing with house money. Not a lot of people are picking them to win. Is that the same mentality or feel around the Capitals that externally not a lot of people are picking them to win? But are they kind of, are they using a kind of us against the world mentality here going into these series? Ian, I, I don't think that's that's them. That, that's not how they're wired. Uh, basically, the, the message that they've been, uh, putting out there for the last month is just get in the tournament. Um, then they believe they're as dangerous as any team. I, I don't know if that's in fact the case. Um, they certainly have some weaknesses. They're, they're getting older at some key positions. Their young goaltenders have really struggled here over the last month. But you talk to leadership and they feel like they got a, as good a chance as anyone. Um, you know, I, I told for an article that's in The Athletic today, uh, five people from around the league, a head coach, an assistant coach, a personnel manager, uh, an agent, and a pro scout. And, um, you know, you would think a, a, a president's trophy winning team facing wild card number two, that it would be a pretty well, you know, across the board, oh, yeah, the, the, the Panthers are going to wipe the ice with the Capitals. And it, it wasn't that. Uh, you know, a, a few of the people said, ah, the, the Panthers have, um, their weaknesses, and this is a, a wildly veteran Capitals team that's been kind of embarrassed by their postseason showing since they won the Stanley Cup in 2018, and um, they think they're going to be pretty determined to, to prove people wrong. Uh, for the first time in a little bit, they're healthy going into the postseason. Alex, we'll see how he is, but for the most part, um, they are healthy. They're, they're at full strength, so um, I'm looking forward to a physical uh, series and I think if, if the Capitals can keep the Panthers' offense in check, I know that's a big if. I think that their experience in some tight games might serve them well. Uh, final question for you, and uh, I like I like going full circle here. I started this podcast about ninety minutes ago with Jeremy Rutherford and Mike Russo, Blues and Wild, and the feeling from them was, you know, we might see four different starting goalies in that series. Cam Talbot, Marc-Andre Fleury, uh, Husso, and Bennington. Let me ask you about the series you're about to cover, Washington and Florida. Do you think, Tarek, that uh, we might see four different starting goalies at some point during this best-of-seven series? Ian, it's possible we'll see five. <laughs> um, I, I, I do think that's possible. I mean, look, uh, Sergei Bogrovsky uh, has two Vezina trophies. We know what he's capable of doing. When he's dialed in, he hasn't had the postseason success that I think a player of his caliber should. And, uh, you know, Spencer Knight will be there if, if he slips up. And you look at the Capitals, you know, Vitek Vanacek and Ilya Samsonov, they basically rotated here over the last month. Ido Lavulette hasn't committed, or at least publicly has not committed to who's going to start game one. Uh, but they also called up Zach Lucali, who's their number three goalie in the organization. Look, I, I think that's mostly for to have a, a, a practice body and to have a backup plan in South Florida in case things go sideways or someone gets injured. But he did pitch a shutout in his NHL debut earlier this season. 
And uh, Bailey Chess and Samsonov have, have done anything but seize the reins. So, um, you know, I was kind of joking about five, but I do think there's a very, very strong possibility that you're going to see four, at least from the Capitals' perspective. Look, they have used two goaltenders all year. That's going to be the case in the series. I'd be very surprised if they stuck with one. They're going to ride whoever's doing well, lose a game, they're going to the other one. Well, hey, listen, uh, appreciate the time. And maybe speaking of going full circle, uh, maybe the Capitals could atone. Remember 2010 when they were the President's Trophy winner, you know, and Yaroslav Halak, Halak them. Maybe they get a little bit of, you know, maybe the, the hockey world goes full circle here. and They, they stun the Panthers here. You know, they've got so much experience. They still have, you know, John Carlson, Alex Ovechkin, and Nicholas Backstrom, and Jimmy Kuznetsov. I mean, that's that's not a, a lineup to, to, you know, just dismiss. I mean, they can still win. They just need one of their two young goaltenders to be competent, uh, maybe a little better than competent. If, if that happens, you know what? As I was talking to that one pro scout, he said, the Florida Panthers don't scare me, and I don't think they scare a lot of people. They, they are a high octane team that plays that plays you know that scores a lot of goals but doesn't play great defense that does not go over very well in the postseason as the 2010 Capitals can attest to. Yeah, exactly. Listen, <laughs> uh, appreciate the visit, and uh, we're looking forward to your coverage. Should be a fun series, Caps and Panthers, uh, starting on Tuesday. Thanks so much for doing this. Thank you. All right, there he goes. Does a terrific job covering the Capitals. He'll be all over that series. Caps and the President's Trophy winning Florida Panthers. Tarek uh, Al-Bashir joining us here. And uh, that pretty much puts a bow on this live edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. A reminder, uh, the Tuesday guys, Gentilly and Custance will be by on Tuesday. That's why we call it the Tuesday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. They'll be by on Tuesday. And uh, boy, this is going to be a really fun week for us in the podcast because we can finally sink our teeth into some playoff action we want to thank everybody who dropped in maybe you dropped in for five minutes or the full uh, 90 minutes but thanks for joining this live stream edition of the athletic hockey show now if you only jumped in for the last five minutes or 10 minutes don't worry don't fret uh, we're gonna have this entire thing uh, uploaded as a podcast a little bit later today so uh, make sure speaking of podcasts you follow us in your favorite podcast platform uh, leave us a rating leave us a review we certainly would appreciate that we also want to draw your attention to a great little promotion we have going on right now with the athletic uh, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just a dollar a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show.